Okay, so let's be honest. How many, how many back row Baptists do we got in the room that just freaked out when you came in today and there were no chairs against the wall? Matter of fact, you're, you're just a little bit mad. You're, you're not sure you're ready to stay or not. They moved your chair. So here's the deal. They'll be back next week. It's okay, I promise. Uh, we're actually going to do something, I think, that's really, really cool during uh, the service. It's, it's part of where we're going with the conversation this morning. I think you're going to enjoy it. And for all of you that sit against the wall, they'll be back next week. I promise you. You're, it's okay. All right, so uh, here's the deal. Here's, here's the question and what we want to tackle a little bit this week. How come? How, how come there are Christians who uh, face the very same set of circumstances, uh, encounter the same moment, and have totally different reactions? Why, why are there Christians uh, when life begins to fall apart and things begin to unraveled, and they fall apart, and they come unraveled, and yet there's a believer right next to them, there's a Christ follower uh, who goes through exactly the same thing and seems to be just absolutely untouched by the moment, unshaken uh, by the circumstances. What's the difference in those two lives and what causes that drastically different reaction? Because here's the deal. How many of you have figured out uh, that hard stuff happens? Okay. Those of you that didn't raise your hand just now, (laughs) just wait. Because uh, every one of us, every one of us is going to uh, face uh, hard stuff. I'm even going to suggest this morning that with intentionality, sometimes God even brings the hard stuff to our lives. So how do you and I face the worst possible moments, the moments when God seems to be absolutely absent, the moment when you go, I, how in the world did my life get to here? How do you face that moment and not capsize your faith? And here's what we're going to suggest today that one of the most powerful things that you and I can do as we prepare to face the toughest moments of our lives is to have a monumental faith, a monumental faith. We're just going to talk about what does that look like, what would happen if we did. So here's the deal. Grab your Bibles, if you would, this morning. Go with me to the book of Joshua, because I think there's a passage here that talks about this idea of building monuments of faith within our lives, that in the darkest, darkest moments of our lives, you and I get to go back and visit the monument and be reminded who God is and what God does uh, within our lives. So it's Joshua, uh, it's chapter 3. Now, if you're not real familiar with where Joshua is, it's pretty simple. Just go to the front of your Bible. You're going to begin to work to the right. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Okay, so while you're going there, Joshua chapter 3, let me, uh, let me just kind of catch us up to speed on the story. Uh, here's what's happened so far. Uh, Charleston Heston has led the Israelites... Uh, out of Egypt. And Yul Brenner has fought him the whole way. Uh, no. Moses, uh, Moses has gone to Pharaoh in Egypt, and, and it's this whole story of the ten plagues. God's done incredible stuff. And, and ending 430 years of captivity uh, in Israel. And you, if you remember the story, uh, as they leave, the Egyptians actually pour uh, treasures on them. They're like, go in take this with you. It's just an incredible uh, moment in the nation of Israel. They leave uh, Israel, they get backed up against the Red Sea, and now all of a sudden the armies of Egypt uh, come up against them. And in that moment, a moment of absolute panic, Moses stands up at the Red Sea, he raises his staff, the water parts, the children of Israel walk across to the other side, the armies of the Egyptians come in the middle, the waters close in, the armies of Egypt are wiped out. It's an amazing, amazingly powerful story. But the interesting thing is what happens next. 
because uh, God then takes the children of Israel to the Jordan River. And uh, he says, look, we're going to cross the Jordan River, and you're going to now conquer the country on the other side. It's filled with all sorts of people uh, already there who don't know me and don't belong. This is the land I promised you. So we're going to cross the Jordan River. We're going to go the other side, and you're going to conquer it. Interestingly enough, uh, the children of Israel decide, you know, we've we got to figure out if, if this is even a probable or a possible request from God. So they send 12 spies into the land to kind of spy out the land. When they come back, 10 of the spies go, this is craziness. This is insane. There are so many of them over there. It's like grasshoppers crawling. I mean, there's everywhere. And then here's the deal. You know, we've been slaves. For, they've been warriors for the last 400 years. And, and these guys are ready to fight. We're not prepared to fight. We can't do it. There are two in the group. Joshua, the book's named after him, and Caleb. And Joshua and Caleb go, guys, wait, 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 wait. God's already taken us this far. Are you kidding? We can do this. We can do this. If this is what God has asked, we can do this. And there's a vote. Anybody want to guess which way the vote goes? And the children of Israel, think about, think, think about this for a moment. The children of Israel who have just seen the ten plagues. The children of Israel who have just seen the Red Sea open up and swallow the Egyptian army. The children of Israel uh, who have witnessed unbelievable power of God in this moment to cross the Jordan River. Go, co- We can't do it. God's answer is this. Then you won't. Then you won't. And this is what begins the Israelites wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. He says, look, I'm not going to deal with a generation that won't believe in me, that can't trust me. So here's the deal. You're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until this generation that took the vote, this generation that forgot all I had done in their lives, dies. And then I'm going to come back to this very same place, this very same river, and I'm going to ask your children to do what you just blinked about. The thing that you panicked over, the thing that you said, God can't, I'm going to ask your children to do what you couldn't do 40 years from today. As you and I begin to read this passage in Joshua, that's the moment. This is the children of the people who would not cross the Jordan, who would not go there. And God is asking them to do what their parents wouldn't. It's an incredible story, okay? And it's going to end up in, here's what we got to watch for, it's going to end up with them being called to a monumental faith. God's going to do something incredibly special, and then God's going to say, and don't do what your parents did. I don't want you to ever forget me. So here it is. Here we go. Joshua chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Here it goes. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. So think about the moment. The generation before has already seen Moses as their leader. God's already done incredible things. Now it's Joshua. Moses is out of the picture. It's Joshua's turn. And God says, look, I'm going to let these people know, because I'm getting ready to do something really cool, that I'm with you in the same way that I was with Moses. Verse 8, tell the priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant, Indiana Jones, okay? Ark of the Covenant. Uh, And when they reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, to go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. 
This is how you will, next word, know. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gregorites, the Mimronites, and the Jebusites. See the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from among the tribes of Israel, each one uh, from one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord of all the earth set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Verse 15. Now the Jordan is at flood stage during harvest. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I mean, think about this. Of all times, God's had 40 years to figure out when he's going to ask them to cross Jordan. Why do you think, why do you think he's asking them at flood time? Can I just tell you guys? And this, this is something that you and I have got to figure out about God. That more often than not, God will come to you and me and ask you and me to do the most outrageous, the biggest moments of serving, the highest acts of obedience at flood time. See, God, God's request is never convenient. He comes when you're going, look, I, God, you, just, I, you don't get, my, my son's in rebellion right now. My marriage, i got to be honest with you, my marriage, my marriage is a little bit rocky right now. And, and now, now is when I lose my job? Now is when I get to try? Are you kidding me? This is flood stage in my life. Because, because, you ready for this? Because God wants to be sure that when what happens next happens... Everybody knows it could only happen with him. If he doesn't show up, it doesn't work. So don't be surprised, don't be surprised, don't be surprised that, that the most critical moments of your and my obedience and following God happen when the Jordan's flooded. See, this is hard for you and I because you and I are so prone to safety and to security and to convenience. And you just need to get that God's calls are never safe and rarely convenient in our lives. Think about this for a minute. What if you had taken a vote in this moment with the children of Israel? Said, okay, we're just going to ask, how do we feel about this? Okay? There's three potential plans. Okay? Here's plan A. We could build a bridge. We, we could take some time, go find some lumber, we'll build a bridge. Cool thing is, I mean, then, you know, others could use it. It would be useful later on. We, we could just build a bridge. Plan A. Plan B. Uh, we'll just wait. <laughs> we'll, we'll wait, uh, you know, till the waters recede, till it's, you know, a little bit drier. We'll wait till summertime, you know, and then we could probably, you know, get across maybe waist deep. We could, we could do that. I mean, here's it. We'll obey God. We'll just wait to obey God. Plan B. Or, uh... Plan C, God's plan, uh, we're going to take a, 
the Ark of the Covenant and we're going to walk in the water with it. Or hey, let's vote. You, you know exactly how we would have voted, right? You know exactly how they would have voted. It's exactly why God didn't take a vote. And he simply says, hey, look, I'm, I'm writing my story here, and I'm going to invite you to join my story. This isn't your story, because if you wrote it, you'd have wrote it different. This would have been all about being easy and safe, and it was figuring it out, and you were smart enough. And he says, no, 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 I'm going to ask you to join me crossing the Jordan. It's interesting. Every Tuesday morning, your staff uh, gets together, and we uh, do a staff meeting and pray. But the first thing we do is, is that I start the meeting, and I say, guys, tell me God's stories. Tell me places where you see God working in our church. And, I mean, they just tumble. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And, and we're hearing stories of, of teenagers who have been just addicted to drugs, and suddenly they're figuring out Jesus, and they're walking away from their addictions. And uh, we've heard about marriages that, that were broken. I mean, they've actually been divorced, and suddenly God is bringing couples back together and healing the marriage. And it's it just unbelievable story. People who lost their jobs, and God's paying the bills. And it, you, you walk out a Tuesday morning just pumped out of your head. And then I come sometimes to Tuesday night, and some of you know I, we do a Bible study in this room on Tuesday night. We call it the mine. It's about 300 of us, and we just go verse by verse. And the thing that's different is, is that it's a little more intimate, and it gets over, and so people will come up, and they'll talk to me afterwards. And, and I can't tell you how many times people will go, Lynn, I just, I just don't get it. I, I feel like I've done the right thing. I feel like I've been obedient, and, and all of a sudden, my life is falling apart. I, I just went to the doctor, and he says, Cancer. got this friend, and I've been praying for him forever, and I, I, I'm just not seeing anything change. And it's almost as if on Tuesday morning, you go, boy, there's God, and then all of a sudden on Tuesday night, you go, where's God? What if, what if the stories I'm hearing on Tuesday night are God's invitation? To join him. What if it's the first chapter of the story that God's writing? What if it's that moment of God inviting us into what only he can do, which means he's going to invite us when the Jordan is flooded? And, and what if what I'm hearing on Tuesday morning in staff meeting is the final chapter? It's walking across dry ground. And, and it just... God does. He invites us to do what our parents wouldn't do, what others couldn't do. Back to the passage. Verse 15. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off, so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. 
The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan. And while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed crossing on dry ground. You get, you get the moment. The, the God's saying, look, I, you're right. It, this, this is big and this is outrageous. I'm inviting you to do something that once you and I do this together, no one's going to explain this away. There's not going to be a bridge there. There's, no one's going to find footprints at low tide. That's not what we're going to do together. We're going to do something that when we get done doing it, there is a God-sized story to tell. And I'm inviting you to come be part of the story. But the incredible thing, the thing that is intriguing, is what God then asks the children of Israel to do next once they've experienced the story. And this is, this is the part about building a monumental faith. Joshua chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Watch what God says to do. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down on the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, and according to the number of the tribes of Israel, to serve, you ready for this? To serve as a sign among you. So think about the moment. Here's Joshua. He says, look, when this moment happens, when this incredible thing happens, it only can be explained by God. Here's what, we're gonna, here's what I need you to do. I want you to reach down in the middle of the dry Jordan riverbed. I want you to pull a stone out of the Jordan. I don't want a shore stone. I want an in-the-middle-of-Jordan stone. And, and I want you to take it, and then we're going to pile them up together on the other side. Now, here's what I'm thinking. If I'm one of the 12 guys he picked, and I'm from the tribe of Levi, I, I'm not grabbing. I, I'm grabbing me a big old honking Levi stone. I, I'm, getting, I'm getting a big old one so that, so that in days to come, after we build this pile of stones, I can go, that's the Levi stone. If I'm from the tribe of Judah, I'm going, hey, dudes, come on, we're right here. I've, I've got a hunker, man. Come help, help me out here. We're going to take that over because that's going to be the Judah stone in the pile. And so they take these stones. They pile them on the other side. And here's what God says. So that they will be assigned to you. That, that you will never forget this moment. Here's what God's trying to do. One and done. One and done. See, here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, there's going to be more moments. You, you've got a whole land to conquer. There's going to be things that are going to come up. They're going to terrify you. And in that moment when you begin to think what your parents thought, that this is too big and this is too hard, I want you to come back to this pile of stones and go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. There was that moment. There was that God-only-can moment when I crossed the Jordan River. And, and here's the deal. If God did that, then God can do whatever the new challenge is. Whatever this next thing is, I'm okay because I was there. And God has already done. And we've created a monument to the moment. 
It's interesting. If you, if you were to walk into my office on any given day, you'd find monuments all over my office. I brought a couple of them uh, for you today. It's my grandpa's Bible. Some of you guys have heard the story about, you know, I've got one side of my family that was just chaos. I mean, woo. And uh, I've mean, I got a great aunt that we still can't figure out if she was married 13 times or 15 times and divorced. But I've got this other side of my family. I've got this God-fearing uh, side of my family. And my, gra- my grandfather was actually the founding pastor of Palmcroft Baptist Church in downtown Phoenix. This is his Bible. And, and if you could see, you'd see that his writing, his notes are all around the edges. It's my monument. Because here's, here's what I know. I know that I come from a line of God-fearers. I know that deep within my grandfather's heart was the desire that his children would follow God and that their children would follow God. And this reminds me of what he hoped I would do. I got another Bible. It's the Bible of Wayne, my youth pastor, when I was a kid, and, and you guys have heard the story about how he came to my door wearing a leisure suit and patent leather shoes and how I thought he was really a big geek and he ended up just being a huge influence in my life, just forever changing me, pouring into my life. I, I can't tell you the hundreds of hours he spent discipling me in Jesus. And, and I, I can honestly tell you, I wouldn't be here today if it hadn't been for Wayne's investment in my life. Some of you have heard the other half of the story. That at a moment in Wayne's life, he decided God let him down. And he just decided to live the second half of his life in absolute rebellion to God. He just said, look, I'm going to do anything I can to break the heart of God. And, and that included drugs. That included the abuse of alcohol. That included every person he could get into bed. And matter of fact, uh, years later, they called me up. They said, Lynn, you need to go visit Wayne at the hospice. Uh, He's dying of AIDS. And Wayne had ended up being a homosexual prostitute, the man who mentored me. And I have this monument in my office to remind me that when I serve God, God can do remarkable things on my life. And when we turn our back on God, things get really disappointing. But here's the one I wanted to show you. Here's... This is the cool one. <laughs> so for those of you who can't see real well, it's a, it's, it's a picture of a kid picking his nose. And uh, it's actually a mailer that we mailed out like uh, seven years ago, six, seven years ago. And uh, someone came to us in the tr- and said, hey, uh, I got an idea for a mailer. You just put a kid on the front, you know, picking their nose. And then the inside of it says, uh, or the front says, still picking. The inside says, a church for your family. <laughs> And, and I gotta tell you, you know, we started to do this, and 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 we, we thought, okay, look, uh, some people are not gonna understand this. We're, we're gonna we're gonna possibly get criticized, you know, for sending this out. Can I can I just tell you, we got criticized. 
I mean, we got phone calls like you cannot believe. People said stuff to us. Ah! Anybody want to guess who criticized us the most? Was it people who didn't know God, people far from God, or church people? Yeah, man, those church people. <laughs> Matter of fact, if you look real close, on this side is a letter that one of them wrote us. And uh, I, I'm just going to tell you, he said things in that like, I can't show you the back of that letter for the things uh, that he wrote in that moment. And uh, I remember uh, after I got that letter thinking to myself, well, you know, maybe, maybe I just led the church into a mistake. I mean, maybe, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe, maybe, maybe we crossed a line. I mean, if, if that many church-going people are criticized, you know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't have. When that mailer finally got out, Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people came to her. It was actually the most effective mailer we've ever mailed out. And, and you'd go to people and, and you'd say to them, hey, how did, how did you find the church? And they go, mailer. And you, you go, well, well, what mailer was it? Picking. You know? <laughs> and they didn't want to admit, but it was almost like people said, hey, if they can have that much fun, then you know, maybe that's the type of church. And Hundreds of people. It was interesting because... I learned a lesson that day that said, hey, you know what, even when you do what you're supposed to be doing, doing the right thing, someone's going to criticize. Someone's going to throw a stone. Fast forward. A couple years later, someone came up and said, Lynn, I, I think we need to do a series in the church on sex. And I said, oh, are you kidding? Wow. I mean, talk about criticism. I mean, that would, that would open us up to huge criticism, right? And, and I, I remember just having a moment of panic in my heart and saying, I, you know, wow. That, that would, that would, woo. And I remember the mailer hanging on my wall. And I was able to turn to the staff and say, guys, I, I think we are. I think we're going to open ourselves up to criticism. I think, I think we're probably going to take a lot of hits on the chin. But if this could change lives, let's go get criticized. And we did. We, I mean, I can't even tell you the, the, the amount of criticism that came in. I can't tell you how many people just came at it. But in the midst of that series... Hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of lives were changed. We had people who were running pornography websites close down their websites. We had marriages that had imploded, get back together. We had hundreds of people who weren't Christians become Christians at a sex series. Monument of faith. Knowing what God had done in the past enabled us to do it in the future. You ready, 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 ready? One and done. It's God saying, look, I'm going to teach you this lesson here. You need to remember this lesson here because I'm going to ask you to do something bigger and harder next. And God is saying to you and I, pile up the stones. Remember what I've done in your life. Don't forget this thing because when that moment of terror comes, when that moment of panic comes, I need you to be able to go back and say, no, 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 no. I remember when God walked me on dry ground. Back to the passage. Verse 8 again. To serve as a sign among you, and are you ready? In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? You tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones are to be a memorial, a monument to the people of Israel forever. 
You, you want to hear the wonder of when you and I have monumental stories to tell our kids? Is that suddenly our kids get to stand on our shoulders. Suddenly they get to hear and understand the lessons that you and I have learned and they don't always have to learn them the hard way. It's interesting that all through the Old Testament you hear about God doing something and then the Old Testament saints would pile up rocks. This is not an unusual moment. But when they piled them up, they would name them. And here's the interesting part about it. They didn't name them the way you and I would have named them. They named them after the lesson. So it's interesting. You, you, all of a sudden you find Jacob wrestling with God. And when Jacob gets done wrestling with God, he piles a pile of stones and he doesn't name it. Jacob was here. Here's what he names it. God is in this place. See, he named it the lesson he had learned. It's Abraham standing on the side of that mountain, and you remember the story, he's been asked to sacrifice his son, and at the last possible minute, as Abraham is lifting his knife to sacrifice Isaac, God says, no, 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 you don't have to do that. I know, I know that you trust me now. Here, take this ram that's caught in the thicket, sacrifice it instead. And Abraham takes the altar that he was going to sacrifice his son on, and he names it. You ready? God will provide. He named it the lesson. So that every generation coming after him, seeing that altar, would know the lesson. When they were told the story. Sometimes, sometimes we get to learn things vicariously. Some of you guys know that Aaron's in California this morning and he's candidating at a church. And I've had to kind of process that out loud in my heart and go, you know, I wonder why. I, why did God bring Aaron and Holly and Kate to us? I mean, what was that about? Because you just need to know that everything we had planned when we hired this young man and brought his family, none of it's happened. We were going to do multi-site. None of it's happened. And yet you and I have done this journey with them and watching God bless them. Is it possible that you and I have been able to stand on their shoulders? Is it possible that God brought them here to do something in front of us and create a monument for us? What would you name it? God is good. God is faithful. God is stronger than cancer. I don't know. Sometimes. Sometimes we get to stand on the shoulders of others. That these monuments in our faith help the next generation be better than us. Here's what I'm going to ask. And here, I, think, I think you and I have got a cool moment. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. In your life, if, if you were going to build a monument, I mean, if you were to say, look, here, here, this, is, this is like the God moment in my life. I mean, this is, this is where God was real and God was huge and I didn't know how it was going to turn out and then God showed up. You know, for some of us in here, you just say, look, I, I, man, you don't want to know what a sinner I was. <laughs> and then I got saved. You know, whatever that is, what, whatever that moment is, what would the monument be? So here's what I want you to do. I want you just for a second right now, and I'm really asking what, if, you, if you could build one, if you could pile one pile of stones, 
What would be the pile you'd pile today? What, 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 what is that lesson? What is that moment you would mark in your life? What is it? What's the crossing Jordan moment in your life with God? Is it when you lost a job? Is it when God brought your spouse into your life? Is it when you got saved? I don't know. What would that one moment be? Question number two. What would you name it? If you wanted future generations to see that moment to come across your pile of stones and understand what God had done, what would you name it? You know, you can't tell the whole story. Just one or two words. God provides. Or maybe even one word. Provider. You know, maybe, maybe you lost a job and you thought, there is no way that I pay these bills. And somehow in the midst of that, God supplied. And you would just say, hey, faithful. I'd call my monument faithful. Some of us in this room have been addicted and God came in our hearts and suddenly we've been released and we would just call it freedom. What would you call it so that future generations would understand the lesson of it? Okay, so here's, here's what we're going to do. Uh, in just a minute, we're going to take communion together, but we're going to do it a little bit differently today because here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to think about that monumental moment of your life, that thing that is the story. And when you get up, I'm going to ask you before you go to the communion table, instead to go to tables that we have all around this room that have material on them and you can write. And I'm just going to ask you to name your monument today. And then once you've done that, head to the communion table, take the cup, take the bread, go back to your seat and then we're going to take communion together. Okay, on the deal. Now, here's, here's the thing. I was told that last hour was a bunch of sissies. They wrote really small. So we're going to write big. We're going to write big letters and big words and name our monument big. It, some of us in this room are artists, and uh, you're going to want to take more time doing this. And so we've opened up the side room over there. And if you say, hey, I want to draw something or I want to make something more fancy, then just head that way. You, you can stay there until next service. Just color away. Um, and then grab your communion cups and go. Now, here's the other part. This is kind of like kindergarten. We're going to share the tables, okay? So four or five of us can write at once. Big. Take our communion. We're going to head back to our seats. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, you have. You've shown up in our lives. and We are so prone to look at every new circumstance and panic and be filled with fear and to forget, to forget that you're the God who walks his people across Jordan on dry ground. And so God, today we're just going to go back and maybe to a couple places in our lives where we should have piled stones, places where we should have built monuments to what you did, and we're going to build monuments. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to declare the greatest moment of our life with you, the, maybe the newest lesson you've taught to us, but we're going to build monuments right now, and we're going to name them. 
We're going to name them so that the lesson is front and center and that all who come behind us will understand the meaning of the monument. Thank you. Thank you for all you do in us. And may, may what we do right now be simply for your glory and for your praise. And may you be lifted up with a God who deserves monumental faith. In Jesus' name.